The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sugov. I'll be your host tonight on this selection, Sunday, March 13, 2022. And thank you for selecting me to fill your ears tonight. Uh, on our show, we got DJ Enemy coming on in just a couple minutes. We're going to talk some NFL free agency and the draft with him. And then later, we'll have Tim Healy from Newsday, where we get to talk real, actual baseball. Not CBA negotiations, not who's right, who's wrong, but real baseball. So we got that. Be, be ready for that. But before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already... We invite you to subscribe to the podcast, WGBB Sports Talk New York, on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcast. Now that we got that out of the way, uh, obviously, before before I came on, we had a huge story drop, and I'm not talking about Selection Sunday, and here in New York, it could, couldn't be any worse that, once again, Tom Brady is coming back for a 23rd season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I want to I want to ask my guest right now, DJ Bianami, uh is he ever going to go away? I don't think so, man. I think um, Tom Brady is just he's wired to ruin people's lives <laughs> uh, and bring a very small section of people happiness and ruin everybody else's happiness. That's all he got to be. Yeah, I I I think, and I've been saying this for a couple of years now. I think there's only one more thing he wants because he has the Super Bowl rings, he has the MVPs, he has the recognition. I think there's only one thing left that for him to get, and that's an un, pretty much untouchable record of 100,000 passing yards, and he's only like 15,000 yards away. You think that might be it, or you think he just really just wants to play? I think he just wants to play. 15,000. Yeah, he'd have to average uh, five. Yeah, he'd have to average 5,000 yards for the next three seasons. I mean, the way he played this year, the way he played this year is not out of the realm of possibility. It's not out of the realm, but for him to throw 5,000 yards at age 47 would be something. Unprecedented. <laughs> I, I so that probably be the greatest of uh, uh, sports accomplishments ever done. Pro- something like that. Probably. As we welcome DJ Bianami from the Daily News. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just packing up right now. I'm about to go back to New York. I spent some time with the family over the weekend. So yeah, so no, too crazy. Yeah, so you were at the Miami Heat game yesterday, and you you have one of the most interesting love hate relationships with them on Twitter that I've ever seen. <laughs> Well, some days they make you feel like they're the best team in the NBA, and then they, you know, days like last night they make you feel like they're a joke. So, so when the playoffs when when the playoffs do come around, what what are your expectations for them right now? Well, they're the one seed, so my expectation is to get to the NBA finals, or at least by the bare minimum get to the Eastern Conference finals. And if you don't make it to the NBA finals, at least losing a game seven at the buzzer. That's that's the only way I'll be. Like, All right, cool. If not, oh, I will not be happy. Well, I will say that they need to. I will be on. They gotta avoid. They gotta avoid the Nets. I don't want to play the Nets in a in a you know in a, in a series like if they're eight seed. Like if they face them in like the second round, third round, cool. But like you know, you know, 
crap I'll get if the Heat lose in the first round? <laughs> Probably a lot. I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now for now for the things you won't get crap for. Well, let let's uh, jump jump into it. Free agency starts this week. The legal tampering period starts up. I believe it's tomorrow, and the New York mm-hmm. Jets have a ton of cap space and a ton of positions they need to fill. Who's the highest on their wish list right now? I um, I think the highest is people that I talk to, and then obviously just league reports around the league. I think Marcus Williams is the highest because. Right now, they don't have what they view as two starting safeties. I mean, they did bring back LaMarcus Joyner, and they did have bring back Will Park. Those are good depth pieces. But I know for a fact that they, they want a bona fide guy in the secondary that can, one, help in the run game and be able to provide a safety net over the top for their young cornerbacks. So I think Marcus Williams out of the Saints. Um, I think that is arguably the biggest um, piece that they've got. The, the question is, how much are you willing to pay? So, because based on Joe Douglas' history, he's not willing to, like, get into a bidding war with players. But we'll see, though, because at the end of the day, you know, Woody Johnson is their owner, and sometimes he can, be, he can uh, influence you and force you to do things that you may not want to do. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking right now, they have about $48.5 million of cash space, but putting away some of that for the draft picks that are going to be on the roster in 2022, let's call it 35 million, and that not only safety, but they they'll probably want to. I would think address offensive line, linebacker, of and th- those are those are value positions that do that do jack up the price a little bit. Com- completely agree. Um, I think for me, yeah, I think right guard is a must. They, I would prefer for them to address right guard now in free agency. So then they can have some flexibility with their number four overall pick because I know you've probably seen that the consensus is trenches and, you know, them going either whichever tackle is left over, whether it's Neil or um, Icky from North uh, North Carolina State. Um, but if you get a right guard, because they all would participate right guard, you know, uh, the first year there, unless somebody catastrophic has with Makai or George Fan where – one of them isn't available, and now they got to play right guard, going I mean, right tackle going into the season. Um, but if you get a right guard, and you know you have Makai and you have Fant, you know at your tackle spot, then that gives you some flexibility as a number four spot. Do you either trade back? Do you go ahead and add? Uh, we'll have to get a corner, or do you decide to you know maybe overdraft somebody like a Jermaine Johnson, who's extremely talented, isn't it? Maybe not may not be valued that high, but you have the flexibility to then do that versus if you don't adjust right guard, now you're kind of stuck, right? You you're, you kind of put into a position where you have to invest another first-rounder into the offensive line. So, I mean, me, I just hope they can adjust the right guard spot, hope they can get a cornerback, um, and then that gives them a lot more flexibility with number four overall spot. Is there anybody in the free in the free agency pool that you would consider a reach but that somebody the Jets could conceivably get be it by overpay or by some act of God? Um, I see some people mention Carlton Davis. I don't know if that'd be like a overpay or overreach, but I think that's someone that uh, would be a you know a good pickup for them, um, regardless of how much the money is. Because from people that can have talked to, a cornerback is a premium position in the, in, in the organization, and what they got from the cornerback group was fine. But obviously, they know that they ain't number one receiver, but based on just the team that they're going to see in the division and. If you look at the schedule this year, the quarterbacks that they're facing, 
they want to make a push for the playoffs, they're going to need the defense to be able to, at the bare minimum, hold it down for, for you know, at least half of the season. And when you play those elite quarterbacks, at least be able to slow them down. Because this year they're going to play Aaron Rodgers. They're going to play Russ. They're going to play um, Josh Allen twice. They're going to play uh, someone else that I'm – oh, Lamar and Joe Burrow. And on top of that, like, they're going to play very good quarterbacks and Kirk Cousins. Um, we'll see what Mac Jones looks like. I mean, he did make a Pro Bowl in year one, but obviously we'll see what he looks like in year two. But he, he, he did look good for rookie in year one. Um, I think Baker, when he's more healthy, should – Look better than he did last year, so it'll be it'll behoove them to at least have some, at least somebody that can limit, help limit those quarterbacks because all those quarterbacks are going to have number one wide receivers too outside of uh, Mac Jones as everything currently uh, stands. Quebecers now he's have Amari, um, Rogers has Devonte, Russ is going to have uh, Sutton or Judy. I think Judy takes a step this year with Russ throwing him the ball. Um, let me see who else. I mean, Kurt has Justin Jefferson, like the job. I mean, obviously Diggs and Josh Allen. So the list goes on and on. Like Lamar, Marquise Brown, Marcus, uh, Mark Andrews, even though like that's more cornerback safety slash linebacker situation when we come to tight end. But overall, though, the point stands that this year the Jets are going to face. Last year they faced a lot of good receivers and great receivers, but most of those guys weren't paired with good quarterbacks. This year now they're going to be facing both. So, yeah, I think cornerback, so the Carton Davis, if they were to go get him, um, that would be a good pickup, in my opinion, because at least that can help you throw somebody at one of those, you know, uh, combos to at least slow them down. Uh, we're talking with DJ Enemy from the Daily News. Uh, and, like, with that, since there was a lot of movement with the quarterbacks this past week with Ross going to the Denver Broncos, and... And then yesterday, Amari Cooper being traded to Cleveland. Are you surprised that the Jets weren't in on Amari Cooper at the price that Cleveland ultimately paid? I was not surprised um, because I know they did a due diligence, but I wasn't surprised though because his cap hit is twenty million right now. The Jets have like around forty, as you already mentioned, so that had dropped you down to twenty. So like when you sign, when you spend players, that gives you cap relief. Obviously, if they were to sign players, that's an automatic cap hit within that year. So if you want to say you sign Marcus, let's do a hypothetical. Let's say you sign Marcus Williams, um, and they, you know he's making about, let's go with $15 million a year. Now you only have $5 million left in cap space. Yeah, you still have to sign a rookie class. So, it's a, I mean, people have mentioned restructuring deals, but that's really complicated. And, that's, and what we've seen with the teams that do a lot of restructuring, one, they have an elite quarterback that they're willing to, do that for because they know that they're trying to keep their win now window open as long as you can. And most of those players that restructure their uh, their contracts and that sort of them are like really, really, really elite players. Or good, really good or elite players. Like when we see the Saints do all the restructuring, a lot of them like Ivan um, Kamara. That's a really good player. Um, I think they restructured their right tackle. He's a good player. We saw Kenny Clark for the Packers get restructured. He's a very good player. So it's, it's little things like that that also people don't really pay that much attention to when they just, you know, when they talk about the restructuring thing. Like, who in the Jets would you, would you restructure? Okay, CJ Mosley, that's one option. Um, that's one option. But who else? Like, what, Corey Davis? Like, his kind, I mean, you can get out of his deal in 2022 if he doesn't step up. Same with Carl Austin, who's never, I've seen someone mention, like, oh, restructure Carl Austin's deal. It's like, well, he hasn't taken a snap for the Jets. When you restructure somebody's deal, you're basically expecting them to be on your roster a lot longer and then play at a, you know, reasonably high level 
throughout the duration of them staying on your contract, I mean, staying on the team, uh, you just can't bank on that with Carl Austin. You can't bank on that with Corey Davis because both of them ended up missing, <laughs> well, Corey missed half of the year and Carl missed all of the year. So, like, they don't really have that many restructuring options. I mean, so that's kind of my two cents on why they weren't really in on Mark Cooper. We came down to the cap hit. Mark Cooper's number was, like, 12. And, yeah, and then, again, like, you're paying $20 million for, for a, um, a receiver. He got to be, like, one of the best in the game, you know, or at least offending. Um, Watch to be one of the best in the game. Like, if we're just being honest, Amari Cooper has never had over 1,100 yards receiving, you know what I'm saying, or 10 touchdowns in a single season. He's a, he's a very, very good receiver. Don't get it twisted. But at $20 million, like, like the guys are getting that type of money, like the Devontae Adams of the world, the DeAndre Hopkins. DK might end up getting that. And DK, he's a one he's young and he's offending, and he's shown you, like, oh, I could be an all-pro receiver. Or like, even like Michael Thomas, like, you know, he's missed the past few years, but he's shown that I can be, like, I can be the best player in my position. So that's the thing, you know. Do you want to pay that much money for a a good player? You know, that that is – that can be a little risky. Sometimes their fans, they, they want a name. And I understand why they want a name. You know, you kind of want some momentum, et cetera, et cetera. But overall, though, it made sense for them not to – get into the season. Because, again, you know, people talk about, okay, well, I'm restructuring the contract. Well, he has to agree to that also. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not – it takes two to tingle in that aspect. So, that's kind of where I, I looked at it. Um, everything sounds simplistic, but when it comes to things of this nature, it, it isn't that simplistic. And what, another wide receiver that's been a big point of contention on Jets Twitter, and you as that bona fide Jets fan that you are, are very well are very, <laughs> very well aware, is – uh. Braxton Berrios, you know, Jets fans love him, and they they want yep. many of them want to bring him back. And you you see you've seen cap number, you've seen potential numbers of nine million, ten million, and that has scared some people off. When when push comes to shove, do you think he's going to stay, or you think he's going to go find that money elsewhere? I think. I mean, I think he's going to find the money. At the end of the day, like, it, let's be honest. Um, if somebody's offering him $8 million per year, why should he stay with the Jets? It's not like the Jets could him taking a pay cut in that aspect if the Jets were like a perennial contender and it's like, okay, this opposite means for me to get a ring. Two things are playing against the Jets. One, obviously, he has an all-pro year, so he can use that for leverage. Um, two, um, it's his first time hitting the free agency market. You know what I mean? So he this is his chance to cash out and be able to strike where the iron's hot. Like he, like he can't think about oh well you know I can, if I take this money less money here with the Jets you know maybe it can become we can become a perennial contender and I would have did my team a good a, you know a favor or whatever. But you know that doesn't work like that for most players. This is your chance. To strike while the iron's high. If somebody's gonna offer him four years, let's go with let me think of a number, thirty million or four years, thirty thirty two million, four years, thirty five million. He got it. He has to take that. He can't pass on that just because he likes being in New York and he likes the Jets and Jet fans like him. Like he has to take that. I agree. This is your opportunity. Yeah, you know, to be able to cash out. You know, so yeah, I mean, it, um, it, yeah, it, it, it worked. It worked for Andre Roberts a few years ago. Right. So, <laughs> push him himself. I think uh, if the money's there, he's going to take it. If the money's equal, just stay in New York. 
We're talking with, with DJ Vianney. We're going to switch gears over to the NFL draft, which is coming up in April. Just got two top 10 picks, four in the top 40, five in the top 70. This is a huge opportunity for Joe Douglas to put this team together to where they can, they can be competing right out of the gate in 2022. What, what do you think they're going to wind up doing with those picks? The mocks have been all over the place, and especially, and obviously, you have to see what they do in free agency. But if you put your GM hat on for a second, what what do you think is the most likely thing they wind up doing with these picks? I think Florida they go trenches. Um, I, I like Kayvon Thibodeau. I like Kayvon Thibodeau, and I like um, or Icky or Neil, whoever's available. Another name that hasn't gotten as much buzz is Cross. From Mississippi State, I've, I've seen, I've, I've talked to some people within the building that, that really like him. Obviously, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to sign him. I mean, they'll draft him at number four, but I, and I think at number ten, I think playmaker, or whether a cornerback, I mean, cornerback or receiver, based on what they do in free agency. You know, if they say they sign a corner, I mean, they sign a corner, you can kind of take corner at ten off the board. Because I mean, they 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 have a good number. They have a good you know number two, number three situation with um, Bryce Hall and Brandon Echols. If you bring them, you know, let's say hypothetically a Carton Davis, you bring that guy in. Or one name to think about is DJ Reed from Seattle. There's a lot of connections there, and yeah, there's a lot of connections there. So let's say you know they bring somebody in that could pop potentially be that type of guy. Then um, yeah, if they get a receipt, by Lucy Smith, they get a receiver. In the free agency, they can still go in the draft because, again, like Corey Davis, they can get out Corey Davis's deal after next year. So because the writing is kind of on the wall in that aspect, and you know, NFL is a business at the end of the day. So that's kind of where I think they'll go trenches in the, with the first pick, um, and then maybe you know uh, go playmaker at number ten. I I think if they if they sign a right guard. Um, in free agency, the Santa Clara free agency, I think then four becomes a lot more. They can be a lot more flexible. They can go maybe quarterback and then go receiver at number ten, you know, um, and they just draft an edge rusher in the second round. I could I could see that scenario too, because they just kind of need a lot more talent, one for Zagan and for the back end. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. So. Is there is there any scenario where you could see maybe they sign Carlton Davis and then draft a corner like Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley anyway and try to set it up to be like a like a Revis Cromartie situation? Hmm. Good question. Um, I could see that scenario, but I wouldn't bank on it. I find it unlikely. I find it unlikely. Um. Yeah, I find it very unlikely, actually. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, that, that, it, that question just kind of came in my head, and I kind of got, like, visions in my head of that happening, like, in 2009, 2010, and I got all excited. Right. <laughs> I understand the but, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't envision that happening. I find that unlikely, um, because they do like Bryce Hall. They, they I think him as a one, they're, they're, they're okay with that, but him as a two, I think they'll, they'll, they like that a lot more. He's number two, because I think Bryce Hall is your number two, could be very good. If he's your number one, then, you know, like, it's okay. But if he's your number two, that's like a great uh, scenario, you know? So that's kind of my thoughts. But if they went Carlton and then went Sauce or Stingley, I would 
I would really respect that because you're basically saying, yeah, Bryce is good, but we want to do better. We, we, we want to upgrade, and we want to make sure that we leave no stones on turning. We want to make sure that we are prepared for this passing league that the NFL is transferring over to. So, yeah, man, um, those are some thoughts uh, on that. Uh, I, I view it unlikely, but you never know. We've seen straight things happen. And we're talking with DJ Bianami. Uh Which wide receiver, if they were to go wide receiver, there there's three that everybody really is high on right now, and that's uh, Drake London from USC, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, and Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Which one? Which one really catches your attention? I mean, all of them catch my attention. If I'm being honest, um, but I do think after the pro day, after the combine, I think Traylon Burks. They're all like kind of bunched up. I think he kind of fell back a little bit. Not in the sense that he won't get drafted in the first round. He's going to get drafted in the first round. But people expected some freakish athletic numbers at the combine. And he, you know, he posted some solid numbers. But when you're that bunched up between Drake London, who some view as the number one receiver, and Garrett Wilson, who, again, some view as the number one receiver, and then Olave goes up there, he runs a 4-3. You know, and he has phenomenal film, too. And he has really good rounds. Like, because with Burks, his game is predicated off of manufactured touches where we're get, he's getting the ball in space and he is then becoming dynamic because he's being schemed open for the, for a lot of his reps. Not all of it. Not all the film isn't just him getting um, being manufactured. But there's a solid chunk of it which shows you that he had a lot of upside because this is what he did when the offense was centered around him. So you can get success through that. But – there wasn't that much of him um, running like a close to the NFL route tree. We've seen him run digs. Because uh, since we've seen him run digs on the outside, curls on the outside, slants on the outside. He, he did some film of him running go routes and winning a lot with him winning too. But um, the other stuff, you didn't see as much. But that one, that could be developed. And he's a phenomenal talent. Um, but I like Drake London a lot. Uh, he was my number one receiver. I got to see he runs at this pro day now. Because Garrett Wilson just ran four three, so one of his questions was long speed, and he just ran four three, so that isn't really much of an issue for him either. So yeah, man, um, for me it's between those two, and uh, I know that the Jets want a a big body to go across from Elijah Moore and Corey Davis because you know they make those contested catches, but you know I mean it, it might be hard to because to pass up on Wilson because his floor is so high. He's going to walk in and be at the bare minimum 800 yard receiver year one. I have no doubt about that. He's going to be 800 yard receiver easy. Yeah, I, so. I, I, I watched a bunch of the Ohio State games and watching him and Olave together was was something insane. Like I, I haven't seen, I, I don't, need, I can't even say I didn't see that in a while because then we just watched Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson do that in LSU. So like that, that's like the the college game is catching up to the NFL game in in that regard where you're seeing these electric receivers. Jumping right into the fold and immediately paying off. Right. Is there any is there any scenario where you see the Jets maybe trading back one of those picks? Like if there's a team that's quarterback needy and oh, like maybe, maybe one of these teams thinks their quarterback in a in a year where the quarterbacks aren't as highly valued as they were last year, where one of them might try to trade up just in case. Absolutely, I think I think the number ten pick for sure. Because uh, Malik Willis is getting a lot of buzz now, and I, and and I, you know, we all know how this goes, man. We know how this goes. Um, you know, one quarterback, especially now with the with the 
push for a tr- uh, quarterback with traits, yeah, Malik Willis is traits. You've seen it. Malik Willis, his face jump off the screen, big arm, um, very fast. He can make every throw. He can make off-platform off throws. He just needs to be developed a little bit um, and refine his game. But, you know, a team is willing to wait on that because we all see it when it pops. Now you have um, a franchise star quarterback that can at times carry your team. And when you – not a game, not two games, but maybe like a month or two months worth of games. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Zach Wilson now going into his second season. You know, was, I saw some of the some of the clips on Twitter the other day of him working out with Trey Lance and that and that group. Uh, what what kind of jump do you want to see him make from year one to year two? Hmm. What kind of jump? Okay. Um. I guess I guess the jump that I'll be satisfied with is right now. We're just being honest. You know, when right this nigga stands, he's probably like. Uh, I mean, you know, once a rookie, I mean, he's, he's like in like the lower twenties, maybe like 30, 30th best quarterback. So he has to get into, for me, he's become a top 20 quarterback. And I guess the way to do that is obviously your projection has to go up. Um, I, one thing that I want Jeff fans to caution themselves on is being enamored with how he looked at the end of the season because he was very, yes, he protected the football, but he wasn't really taking that many chances. And I know there's a lot of context. He didn't have some of his receivers, so that's fair. But there were there were still games where he did have his receivers, and he threw for like under two twenty. You know what I'm saying? Like the Eagles game, he threw for he threw for under two twenty. And I know like he didn't get the ball much in in the second half of that game, but again, he threw for under two twenty. So he had Eliza, he had Corey until Corey got hurt later on in the late third, early fourth. Um, he had Barrios. I think he may have had Crowder. I got to double check. I'm not 100 percent sure. But again, going back to my original point is. He did protect the football, but he was averaging like about a buck seventy passing. If you expand it over the entire season, that's like you're barely crossing over three thousand yards in a seventeen game uh, season, and obviously that won't be good enough. So I think production needs to be closer to thirty six, thirty seven, and then touchdowns above twenty. Um, passing, not rushing, but just passing above twenty. Um, for percentage, I get to the sixties. And I think that's the type of step that needs to be the bar. The bar can't be, you know, he makes this leap to, like, Justin Herbert or Josh Allen in year three or Lamar Jackson in year two or Joe Burrow. Like, I don't – that one, it doesn't matter if I see it or not. It's a, for my job, is always set expectations and set fair expectations. That's not a fair expectation for that. Even if he hits that, I'd rather him exceed my expectations than me set a bar that is very unrealistic than when he doesn't meet it. Now you have fans and obviously other media members crushing him for not making that year two jump. Well, that's, you know, that's not fair. We can't expect quarterbacks to then become basically top ten quarterbacks, you know, in their second year of playing in the NFL. I I do agree with that. As we're uh, to, we're about to wrap up here with uh, DJ Vanamy. Ironically enough, that that Eagles game that was actually the one game I missed this year. I was down in down in Miami seeing. I was at the watching Tua and Jalen Waddle makes sweet music together to the tune of, I think, like 120 yards that game against Carolina. Yep. I remember that game. Yeah. I remember you texting about that game, too. Yeah, that was, uh, that's when he brought out the Waddle touchdown dance. Which, <laughs> which, which, which if, if men doesn't put that in there for the next game, they made a huge mistake. 
<laughs> I, I just got one more for you before we let you go. Uh, do you, is there how, what kind of expectations are on the front office, specifically Joe Douglas, in now his third full season at the helm here, to really make a a leap from being dead last in the AFC East to at least competing for a wild card spot in late November, early December. Yeah, I think they just got to continue to. I think the the pressure is to continue to add talent smartly. Um, so as you saw, like they they were like they kept like the previous regime kept missing on so many drafts that was solid and finally got here. There wasn't really much to work with, you know. So that's kind of my thought process is just continue to add talent, man. Continue to add talent. Um, whether it's with the draft, free agency, but you know, business, you gotta be smart with it. You know what I'm saying? You wanna, you wanna supplement uh, with, with actual talent and then continue to get, at the bare minimum, quality starters, you know, throughout the draft. But think about this. How many quality starters do you just have on their roster right now? Or even like, you know, whether they're playing across the league from like classes 17 through yeah, 17 to, I guess, let's go 17, 17 through 20. How many starters, quality starters, actually in the NFL right now from those draft classes outside of, and most of them obviously weren't Joe Douglas's, but 19, 18, 17, that was uh, McCagney. How many uh, are actual starters, quality starters? Not that many. The only yeah. one you can think of is Jamal Adams yeah. for the most part, you know? So when you have a, you walk into a situation that's what your roster, can, you know, comprises of. Um, you know, comprises of. It's, it's hard to then, then I, use um, I guess make a, you know, I don't want to use the word make a jump, but like then, okay, let, let's just spend all this money to add all this talent. You got to still do it smartly because, um, yeah, you got to still do it smartly because, you know, um, there's, there's so many holes on the roster, even from a depth perspective. You know what I'm saying? So you got to be able to, that's why they always say build through the draft. Because it's not always about you know super stuff. Sometimes about just getting some nice talented players. I mean, I mean, nice talented quality starters. Well, DJ, thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to the content you pumped out this week as free agency gets underway and millions of dollars are being spread around the league like it's candy. No problem, man. Thank you for having me on. Of course, that was uh, DJ Enemy from the New York Daily News. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Tim Healy from Newsday. We're gonna talk baseball. We'll be right back. to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. 
and we're back for the second half of WGBB Sports on New York here on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. I'm Andy Sukoff, and of course, i got to shout out my guy Brian Grace behind the glass for putting this all together. And now we are, we're at, we're at a point of the year where, where it's March Madness and things start getting together with that. But it's also finally baseball season, and now we get to actually talk about the people on the field and not in, not in negotiation rooms. So I'm now bringing on from Newsday the Mets beat reporter Tim Healy. Tim, thank you for taking the time tonight. How are you? I am excellent, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Have was the media report day today as well? Just like the players, or do you guys get down there a little bit later? Media report day, for me at least, was Friday. I came down, flew down from New York Friday morning, less than 24 hours after the lockout ended because I wanted to get the ball rolling. So I've been reporting on site for Port St. Lucie since Saturday, and it's been a, a busy and productive and, and good two days so far. And you and you missed out on all the snow, so there's that too. Yeah, I think if I tried to fl- fl- fly Saturday, it sounded like it would have been ugly. So yeah, uh, I would definitely yeah. lucked out there. Yep. So finally, after 99 long, grueling days and so many public sniping back and forth, they, the owners and the players finally got together and got a five-year collective bargaining agreement done, which will take us through the 2026 season. Some changes are coming. So as you're seeing through the facilities, the players and the coaches, what, what's the feeling around the facility right now? The feeling is finally... We are here, and this is happening, and, and opening day all of a sudden is around the corner. There isn't a whole lot of CBA talk. It's more just relief that the lockout is over and baseball season is here, and people can play catch and throw bullpens and take batting practice, uh, you know, like they normally would be this time of year. Nobody liked the lockout. Nobody seems too interested in discussing the specifics of the CBA, to be honest, which is a very relatable feeling. I'm not that interested in it. I don't think fans are. Um, so it's just good to have baseball back. Uh, so obviously once the, everything was ratified and free agency and everything opened up again, the Mets seemed to go on the offense like almost immediately. As yesterday they make the trade for Oakland A's pitcher Chris Bassett, Went 12-4 last year with a 3.15 ERA. Traded a couple prospects back to to the A's. What, what are your thoughts on that move right out of the gate? I think that is an excellent, excellent move for the Mets. Chris Bassett as a number three starter is a very good situation for the Mets to be in. I think Bassett's sort of underrated because he was, an, he was a late bloomer and he played for Oakland. So put those two things together and he doesn't get a whole lot of love nationally he was an all-star for the first time last year he is already 33 years old he's going to be a free agent after this season so it's just a uh, a rental so to speak for the Mets um, but with the Grom and Scherzer everybody knows about the one two but now really it's, it's a one two three with Bassett in there and then of course Carrasco and Taiwan Walker rounding out the starting five so with that move, the Mets really filled out their rotation, but also stabilized their rotation because Chris Bassett has been very reliable the last few years. Yes, he has, and I this I know it's not the same thing. I had him in fantasy two years ago, or two years ago, and he yeah. he was quite solid for me. So I'm not going to complain. Uh, so what one of the things I saw today they 
as they signed Adam Adovino, uh, and no pun intended, to the relief of some fans, uh, Jared Familia is signing with the Phillies. Uh, do, do you think that Adovino can fill in Familia's role, or do you think they're going to continue to try to get more bullpen help? Uh, yeah, Adovino effectively replaces Familia, right-handed reliever, veteran guy, very durable, he'll pitch a lot, Adovino always does, um, and he's just kind of your classic, dependable, veteran reliever kind of guy. He can fit into the late innings picture if he deserves it or if the Mets need him to. He has lots of experience doing that for the Rockies and the Yankees, and even the Red Sox a little bit last year. Um, so that's a, a nice, solid signing for the Mets. Not going to move the needle a ton, probably, but their bullpen was such that they needed a couple of other established arms, and with Adovino, they have one. So do you think they're going to stand behind Edwin Diaz as their closer, or do you think they might continue to, or might try to get one or two more to you know, to push him along? I would be surprised if anybody but Edwin Diaz is the closer, at least to open the year. He was overall fine. He was pretty good last year. Um, you know, he's, he, when he has hiccups, he has tends to have multiple hiccups and goes through a rough patch as opposed to having just one rough game. Um, but I'd be very surprised if anybody other than Diaz was the closer. Yeah, much like a role this Chapman or Dylan Batanzas where we're sitting there wanting to pull our hair out when right. like when, when when they're off, it, it's ugly. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, definitely, and that's been the case with Diaz plenty of times through the years, as Mets fans know. Uh, so, you know, he kind of is what he is at this point. Uh, we're talking with Tim Healy from Newsday. Going to go over to the biggest acquisition of the offseason thus far, and that's their uh, shiny new pitcher, Max Scherzer, one of the greatest pitchers of the generation, definitely a first battle hall of famer, pairing up with other greatest pitcher of the generation, Jacob deGrom. Saw some of the videos of him doing his bullpens today. He already looks like he's in he's in good form. Uh, do you think the Grom and Scherzer are going to be able to coexist as that one and one A, or you think there's going to be like that internal competition between the two of them to see who's going to be the ace? I, I, I'm sure there will be competition between them because they're two competitive guys, and that is part of what makes them as good as they are. But I also fully expect them to get along. I I think. Max, you know, Max Scherzer has said straight up a couple of times that one of the reasons he wanted to come here, aside from his historic contract, his historically large and expensive contract, I should say, uh, was to pitch with DeGrom. DeGrom's the best pitcher in baseball right now. Scherzer, likewise, is on the short list for best pitcher of his generation, you know, alongside guys like Kershaw and Verlander, probably the big three right there. Maybe DeGrom will join him in a, with a couple more excellent years. Um, but... They're, they're going to coexist, and they're going to compete with each other. And for the Mets, that should be a really, really good situation as long as both of them, and especially DeGrom, can stay available. Because DeGrom had so many injury issues last year, didn't pitch at all after early July. Um, you know, he's a little bit of a question mark right now, especially once he starts ramping it up to 100-plus miles an hour with his fastball. Um, but like I was saying during the Bassett discussion, the top of the Mets rotation is as good as it gets. Do you, do you think uh, you know, Buck Showalter and crew are going to have DeGrom like, like, do maybe like a couple innings here, a couple innings there during spring training, or do you think they're going to try to ramp him up as quickly as possible 
to be ready for opening day, especially with it being, you know, only like three weeks away? That's a good question. I don't know because I, I don't know yet. And Buck Showalter, I don't think even knew today where in the process Jacob DeGrom is right now. Max Scherzer said he is up to three innings and 50 pitches, which is pretty normal for mid March. Uh, but we don't know where DeGrom is at in his progression and his usual spring training ramp up. Um, he did arrive to spring training today. He's supposed to talk to the media tomorrow, so after that we should have a better idea of where he's at and how ready or if he'll be ready for opening day. Uh, one, one of the big things coming out of the uh, new collective bargaining agreement is that the DH, after 45 years exclusively in the American League, it's now coming to the National League. Uh, the Mets have several people who could really fill that role in pretty nicely. Is there any thought of who could be that first guy to take that DH role with the Mets right now, or are they still looking? You're exactly right that the Mets uh, are well-suited to have a DH. And unfortunately for them, that has been true for like four or five years, where uh, they kept having these okay to really good hitters who just didn't have much of a defensive position. And now finally, permanently, they can take advantage of the DH spot. Uh, uh, as far as who it's going to be, it could be it could be any of a number of guys. I think they're they're best off doing some sort of Robinson Cano, JD Davis platoon DH situation, um, and played playing Jeff McNeil at second base. Um, but it could be Cano, JD Davis, Pete Alonso some days, Dominic Smith some days. My bet is Buck Showalter will spread the at bats around and um, you know use it in, in some cases as you. You know, often hear managers say it's sort of a half day off. Like if they want Pete Alonso to rest his legs but keep his bat in the lineup, put him at the age and let Dom play first for a day. Um, so I think there are plenty of creative ways um, to use the DH spot. Do you think DeGrom's still going to lobby to hit on the Daisy pitches? Uh, <laughs> maybe playfully, and that's actually a good question to ask him tomorrow. He might get a kick out of that. Um, but let, let's be honest with ourselves. Even a good hitting pitcher like DeGrom is a terrible hitter relative to the major league standard. So um, that would be funny. I, I, I can imagine DeGrom trying to lobby for that, uh, but uh, suffice to say it, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, um, unless he turns to Shohei Otani and hits 280 and hits 40 home runs and, play, right. and plays right field. Then, then, you got yeah. a, then you got a shot. Yep, yep, he does take ground balls at shortstop all the time, so he likes to get out in the field and have some fun. He's an athletic guy. Yeah, what, speaking of right field, uh, you know, Michael Conforto still a free agent out there. Is there any chance he winds up back with the Mets, or do you think that ship has sailed? I think that ship has basically sailed. The only way I can see that happening is if some, if for some reason his market craters and he's suddenly looking for like, a one-year deal or something and trying again next offseason, which I really, really do not anticipate happening to Michael Conforto. To hear Brandon Nimmo tell it, you know, he talks about Michael Conforto in the past tense now, at least as far as his time with the Mets thing. You know, he loves that guy, wishes him the best, was one of his best friends on the team. So it seems like with Mark Hanna and Starling Marte joining the Mets in the outfield prior to the lockout, 
the Michael Conforto ship basically sailed at that point. And we're talking with Tim Healy from Newsday. Speaking of Starling Marte, do you think he and Nimmo can match the production that Conforto brought brought to that Met lineup? I think so. Yeah, especially if you're if you're thinking about relative to last season, Conforto kind of stunk last year, at least for a lot of it. So the bar to replace him is not particularly high. Um, Nimmo, we all know, excellent offensive player. Gets on base all the time, pretty fast, some sneaky power too. Um, and then Starling Marte, you know, he's a, he's an excellent addition as well. So I think between the two of them, one in center, one in the corner outfield spot, I think the Mets will be just fine. Going over to the other side of the river, going over to the Bronx, are, are you surprised that the Yankees haven't made any big moves yet, or you think they're just kind of waiting in the weeds and waiting to strike? I, I'm really surprised. They did basically nothing or actually nothing before the lockout and have been quiet the last few days. And they they need to figure something out at shortstop because right now, according to Aaron Boone, Gio Urshela is the shortstop, and that's not really an everyday situation that you want to be dealing with, at least if you're a contending team like the Yankees. Um, so uh, they need a shortstop. They could probably use a couple pitchers. Um, they need to figure something out. Uh, you know, fourth outfielder wise, probably. Who knows? Brett, it's, uh, what's it, March 13th today? So I think tomorrow or the next day is the annual Brett Gardner is back day for the Yankees, which seems to happen all the time. That is true. Um, so the, 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 the Yankees have a lot of work to do, um, which can happen at any moment, granted. Um, all it takes is one signing to sort of change the narrative that has surrounded them this offseason. But, uh, yes, to answer your question, yes, I am surprised that it has gone for, that way for them. Yeah, you know, what what one of the things that one of the other things that is coming out of the new uh, CBA is that the ghost runners of 2020 and the seven inning double headers are going away, as we'll now see nine inning double headers like nature intended. Now you may feel differently because you have deadlines, but are you are you glad to see those rules go away, or did you wish they kind of kept on held on to them? I am extremely glad to see those rules go away. I, I think some of my media colleagues and peers and competitors like those rules because they move the game along and move the day along a little bit. But as somebody who loves baseball and likes the historical aspect of baseball, a seven-inning game is absolutely bonkers to me. Um, I also hated the automatic runner on second to start extra innings just on principle. Um, I just, I am very happy to see those rules go away. I am happy to see more and more signs of the pandemic going away, including those rules and Zoom interviews and things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, all this talk of return to normal, normalcy, yada, yada, baseball is pretty much back to normal, getting rid of those pandemic era rules. And what, and what, one of those is, uh, you guys do have locker room access again. How, how important is that to, forge that relationship with the players and then with that to get that out to your readers? It's very important. It's very important. And I, I have to imagine that the topic of reporters having clubhouse locker room access isn't like a very interesting thing. But for reporters, it's extremely important because for the past two years, the vast, vast majority of all of our stories have been off Zoom interviews or group interviews. Everybody has the same story, which isn't fun for anyone. Um, now that we're back in the clubhouse, starting bright and early tomorrow morning, 
Um, it's, you know, you can walk up to players, you can forge those relationships with players. Everybody, a lot of times, comes out with their own little bit of different story, um, which is good. That's, that's competition among reporters and benefits fans because they learn more about their team. Most of your favorite stories that you've ever read or heard on TV or, or anything, those stories largely have come from reporters being in the clubhouse. So I'm very happy to see that continuing and coming back. And we'll go, we'll go back to some personnel here. Are there any non-roster invitees or minor leaguers that are fighting for roster spots this year that you think might make, make that opening day 26? The opening day 26, it, that's a tough call. Uh, usually when you look at the, the list of non-roster invitees, sometimes veteran guys who have minor league contracts but are in big league camp, usually like one of those guys ends up making the opening day roster. One guy who was mentioned today by GM Billy Epler was Alex Claudio, a left-handed reliever. He had a hard time last year with the Angels. The Mets are talking him up a little bit as a potential left-handed relief option, so he's one name to keep an eye on. As far as other minor leaguers, one guy, not for the opening day roster, but in general that I'm really interested in, in seeing is Mark Vientos. He is a third baseman who plays a little outfield, a little first base. Very powerful. Last year he was 21 years old and hit 25 home runs in only 80-something games in AA and AAA. So um, a lot of power for Mark Vientos and a guy who could, you know, very, very feasibly be in the majors this year at some point. And there's one that won't, he won't be in the majors this year but will be very soon is uh, Brett Beatty. Where do you think, where do you think he's going to wind up starting the year? That's a good question. He finished last year in double-A and didn't spend a whole ton of time there. So I, I would expect Beatty to be in double-A um, in part because Vientos will be at triple-A and they both play third base primarily. Um, they are able to coexist on the same roster. They did that last year. Um, sort of a quirky thing with having two good third base prospects at the same time. But uh, Beatty... Double A Binghamton. That's where I expect him to start. And with, with the fact that uh, Major League Baseball gutted a lot of the minor league teams over the last couple of years, and now each team only has, you know, one team per level. Like, how how much more important is it that they get their that they get their playing time when they don't have as many teams that they can distribute minor leaguers out to? It's very important. You know, it, what what team people will tell you is that as soon as a prospect gets to double a that's considered the upper minors and he feasibly could be called up um that's probably a little less true for brett Beatty just because of vientos ahead of him um he's not on the 40-man roster etc some logistical considerations um but it's important not to rush prospects and to let them develop at their own pace sometimes an extremely good prospect will struggle when he gets to a new level, and that's okay because these are really good baseball players who, in some cases, have never struggled at anything in their entire life. So it's good to learn how to fail a little bit and how to respond to failure and grow from that. So, um, you know, if, if Brett Beatty starts the year in AA or, or spends most of the year there even, that's not the end of the world. There's, there's no rush. Um, everybody develops at their own pace. And like like they say, you fell you fell seven out of ten times. You get you got a nice plaque in Cooperstown. 
Exactly, exactly. That's a good deal. Uh, going to the back to the to the big league personnel. Who do you think need? Who do you think it's most important to have a big bounce back in 2022 after struggling in 2021? Guys like uh, Francisco Lindor got a, got a lot of crap from fans last year, and Carlos Carrasco didn't have the greatest season. Who are you looking at to have that big bounce back in 2022? Well, part of the problem for the Mets, who finished with a losing record last year, is that they have a lot of guys who need or stand to have bounce back years. Carrasco, Lindor, McNeil, Tom Smith, J.D. Davis. You know, the, the list goes on. Uh, James McCann, who was new last year to the Mets. Um, Lindor, yes, I, I expect him to bounce back, but I think the biggest bounce back potential from 21 to 22 is Jeff McNeil. He was bad last year, and he, I think, got in his own head a little bit, definitely beat himself up a, a lot about it. Um, but should be the starting second baseman, in my opinion. And if you look at his career track record, he always hits. If he's healthy and he's available to play, he's going to do very well at the plate. That wasn't the case last year for basically the first time ever. And, uh, you know, I don't know exactly why. I hope to talk to him in the clubhouse uh, sometime in the next couple of days. Um, but he's a guy who, based on his track record, should have a, a huge bounce back. Uh Besides Max Scherzer, which new addition are you most excited to see on the field when things start ramping up tomorrow? Ooh, this might be a little bit of a recency bias problem for me, but my my, my first reaction is, is Chris Bassett. Um, position player-wise, Starling Marte can be an electric player and got a huge contract and is, should be very good. But I think people are sleeping a little bit on Mark Canna, who's going to play one of the out, corner outfield spots for the Mets. Um, very underrated hitter. Another guy who had been with Oakland. Um, so Bassett and Canna are my two answers. Two Oakland guys, coincidentally. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty high on Eduardo Escobar. What, what, what have you seen from him so far? Not very much. He did take a few grounders today. It was a, very routine looking session. So, um, you know, there was no formal workout for the Mets today. Their first one is supposed to be tomorrow. Um, today was more casual guys wandering out, playing catch, taking grounders. Um, so I haven't seen a whole lot from him, but, uh, yeah, definitely a, an important addition at third base and second base. Yeah. I, and Tim, I want to thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, you know, hopefully everything goes well with spring training and nobody gets seriously injured before the season starts nobody wants that and the Mets can have that have that excitement for themselves and the fans that has really been pulsating since they signed Martin Scherzer back in November yes agreed you never want to see injuries really in spring training they feel inevitable inevitable a little bit somebody unfortunately is going to get hurt but um with any luck the Mets will escape with a largely intact roster and then then we can see what sort of noise they can make it should be a fun season well tim thank you so much and good luck and good luck with the reporting this season thank you very much thanks for having me of course that was tim healy from newsday as like we said spring training is here we have baseball we don't have to worry about what's going on between the lawyers and and the mlbpa we can actually talk about Who's gonna, who's gonna hit 327? And the answer is nobody, cause nobody does that anymore. Who's gonna hit 47 home runs? And who's gonna hit, 
who's going to drive in 106 runs and who's who's going to win the Cy Young? We get we get to we get to have those conversations now because they finally got it done. And with that, that's going to do it for me because the Yankees haven't done anything. Tom Brady is still playing again, and that's just makes me sad. Select March Madness is officially underway now that the now that we've had Selection Sunday. The, the field of 68 is out. I am very excited to put out my bracket. I will have some thoughts on that, which you can hear, which you can see on Twitter at Andy underscore Sukoff. I want to thank you all for listening tonight. Of course, I want to thank my man Brian Graves behind the glass for putting it all together. Thank DJ Bienemy and Tim Healy for joining me tonight. That's going to do it for me. Stay tuned because hour two of Sports Talk 12 or WGBB Sports Talk is coming up. You're not going to want to miss it. So stay tuned. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.